Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 Territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Ojukri, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Uh, week 9 in the CFL has officially come and gone. Uh, we talked about the first game between Edmonton and Ottawa, uh, on the last episode, because we had that weird week with a Tuesday night game, but we had three other great football games this weekend. Uh, Mike, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Not too bad, all things considered. Uh, this is the nice part of my week to take an hour and uh, talk CFL with you, so it can't, can't be all bad, right? Right, yes. I love to get to chat CFL with you. It's always a blast. And I thought it was a great weekend of games. Uh, what did you think overall of what you saw this weekend? Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, one of the games, uh, the bombing game, obviously, on replay, to my PBR highlights of the other two. Uh, just when we make sense of things in the CFL, we get the exact opposite. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Uh, CFL likes keeping uh, a muddy picture every week, but... Uh, Leaves us to the, expect the unexpected week after week, and yeah, you know what? We should know better by now, shouldn't we? We should. I, I, I think myself, I may have gone 0 4 in Pickham last week. I don't know how you did, but uh, it was a rough week for me. Yeah, I can't, I, I can't even remember to be honest with you. I'm a losing track. Losing track, losing ground quickly. Uh, my overall pick'em record on the year. Let me pull it up now. Thirty-five percent, twelve wins, twenty-two losses. Uh, I, I bring up the question from the first couple weeks uh, of the season: Is how are we still allowed to be in charge of running this podcast? Well, it's a good thing, and we always say, right? Don't take their pitch to Vegas, and you know how how that's field goes. Definitely, yeah. Do not bank on our pickup advice uh, for your financial well-being. Uh, let's dive into the games from this week. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers uh, defeating the BC Lions Friday night, thirty to nine. A dominating effort by Winnipeg. Uh, I really thought coming into this game it was going to be closer. You know, it seemed to be two of the best teams in the CFL going head to head. You had two of the best defenses in the CFL going head to head. Um, and certainly some explosive offense from both sides. Uh, what do you make of what you saw in this one? I'm stunned. I'm stunned. I, I really am stunned. Uh, can I say that I'm stunned one more time? Because I, I, I still am. Um, I'm waiting for the Bombers to revert back to their old ways, Ryan, and it just hasn't happened yet. Um I think it's time to accept that this is far and away the best team in the CFL. It's not even close. Um, I don't want to use the the Bombers are playing chess and everybody's playing chess line because I think that would be just a little bit too much of a, a reach. But, no, the Bombers are a good team. They're playing like it. Even when they're not playing like it, they find a way to win, and that's what a good team does. And... It's very interesting how now, generally speaking, the lead in, if you were to do power rankings from two to nine, you know, take your pick. It's any given week as far as that order goes. And, 
You know, I, I just keep waiting for, I just keep waiting to be disappointed and it just hasn't happened yet. And this to me, it was kind of the last thing that I wanted to see. Uh, Cause I don't know if I told you this or if I told our, somebody else about this. I said, well, I want to see Bombers against BC because I think BC is our, our best, uh, our best chance at, you know, most this team, but we're like, and it's just remarkable when you hear uh, Mike Riley say that we're the best team in the league, and it's not even close to paraphrase. Um, to hear those things coming out of the opposition's mouth to some extent is uh, beats to how dead this football team is, and I don't know about you, I'm going to enjoy the ride while it lasts, because uh, it's certainly... We've certainly been at the bottom for our fair share of time. Now, we talked about, I think, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before, about potential MOP candidates getting near the middle of the season. I I think we already had him in the conversation coming into that game, but I think this one was just a big stamp on there of, yeah, I think it's clear who's leading the way right now, and that has to be Zach Caleros of the Bombers. you know, quietly, kind of non-quietly, I guess, given the team's success, having a good, solid year all around. But no games over 300 yards coming into this one. Uh, and all of a sudden, he goes off for a 28 of 33 for 417 yards and two touchdown passes. Uh, over 400 yards, I believe, for the first time since 2016 for him. I can't, for the life of me, remember the last time a Bombers quarterback has thrown for over 400, an 85% completion percentage, pretty much uh, just below that. Uh, what a fantastic day for Zach Caleros, who now leads the CFL in passing yards uh, through eight games for him. I mean, uh, I certainly, we talked a lot in the offseason early in the year, did they make the right decision? Uh, with the whole quarterback trio of keeping Caleros and while well, Straveler went to the NFL and uh, they decided to keep Caleros over Nichols. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's looking like they made a pretty good choice right now, isn't it? Yeah, and you know what? It's, this reminds me so much like we saw with the Zach Caleros in Hamilton, the one that was challenging for MOP awards. Uh, I know there was one year where he had a significant knee injury or a significant injury of some kind which took him out of the running for MLP. But, I mean, if there was ever a, there was ever a franchise-defining moment, I think that trade would, would certainly be it for sure. And now you have him number one in passing. You have the leading receiver in the CFL with Ken, as Kenny Lawler, who had 12 catches, 205 yards, and a touchdown, the best day of his career. I mean, he dominated this game. And, uh, you know, in a second, we'll get into talking about the news uh, that just came out yesterday regarding Lawler, which sheds different lights on things. And certainly we're not going to be talking about him that positively in that sense. Um, but... Uh, a fantastic day for him. I mean, from start to finish, it was the Kenny Waller show in this game. And I can't remember much like I said about the 400-yard passing game. When's the last time a Bomber quarterback has led the league in passing yards and the Bombers have had the leading receiver in the CFL? Uh, quarterback-wise, is it fair to say go back to Kahari Jones, maybe Kevin Glenn? 
Yeah, I'd have to think back. I mean, I know... I know Stigo had a 200-yard game one year in the Banjo Bowl, but his quarterback wasn't uh, at the top of the lead in, in the passing yards. Um, I think Ryan Clay, honestly, I, I think you're going back to 2001, the Kahari Jones era uh, for, you know, the find that passing quarterback that led the lead but came from Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Especially this late in the year. It's one thing to lead, you know, after a week or two here, but we're almost like halfway through this season and there is a bomber offense and more in particular a quarterback that I think finally played his first efficient game. I mean, I think he did to say that, you know, they weren't at full cylinders uh, until this week. And, you know, there was always that missing dimension. And this week, I think we saw just how deadly that offense can be when they when they put everything together like that. Yeah, and the defensive side of the ball really put together another strong performance. I mean, once again, zero points allowed in the fourth quarter. They don't give up a passing touchdown. I think I saw today they've only given up two passing touchdowns on the season through eight games, which is potentially the most absurd stat I've ever seen from a defense. I don't get it. I'm waiting for it to fall each and every week, but it almost, it only seems like the defense is getting better now that they have Steven Richardson back in the lineup. He had a sack and a forced fumble. They have Kyrie Wilson back in the lineup. Who's a, a big help there at the linebacker position. Uh, Things seem too good to be true right now in Winnipeg, don't they? Yeah, and and I and I, and I think what the that the that's the remarkable thing, Ryan, is you know we haven't had a bomber team that's been on all cylinders yet this year, and I don't even think, to be honest with you, that was the bomber's best effort against uh, BC, despite what the score says. I mean, they turned the ball over a couple times. You really want to be critical of a of a football team. Uh, this is the first week where, you know, we aren't questioning a kicker by any stretch of the imagination either. So, granted, you know, he, didn't have just, any, he didn't have any long field goals to make. They were all pretty short, but... But again, there are field goals, right? I mean, for a team that had the lowest field goal uh, percentage in the CFL coming into the week. You know, any field goal is a field goal at this point. And, and I mean, I, I think people, and I think myself, are a little guilty of this. We're so used to Justin Medlock, where basically everything inside 40 is automatic. Well, you know, now it's life post Medlock, and not everything is. Uh, as automatic anymore. Now, I say things are too good to be true, and then what happens uh, yesterday is, uh, well, we finally get some bad news in Bomberville, and that's uh, Kenny Lawler, the, after this monster game, best game of his career, leading the receiver in the CFL, uh, supposedly gets arrested for driving under the influence. Uh, the team uh, jumped on it right away. First of all, I guess, uh, let, let's start here. Uh, drinking and driving, unacceptable. 
completely unacceptable decision. You, we live in the day and age where you know ride sharing services are available, taxis are available. Uh, there are a lot of different options. Uh, it was a terrible decision Lawler made. I uh, definitely don't condone it, and I'm just happy it seems nobody got hurt out of it. Uh, I will give him kudos for coming forward to the Bombers team uh, and being open and upfront about about the situation with them and willingly put, you know, participating in all the, the uh, police investigation and everything going on with that. And, uh, and I applaud the team for getting out in front of it and, uh, you know, saying, sorry, you're going to sit Friday night. Uh, Lawler will not be in the lineup against the Elks this Friday. Um, I think it very well, we could have seen a situation where, you know, the team's just waiting for the league to drop down action on them. I don't know if it's too often that we see a team itself go and suspend a player. And, you know, it seemed like his comments from the media availabilities earlier today that that Lawler does understand what he did wrong and he wants to try to work on himself and get the help he needs uh, to get himself back on track and to not make the same mistake again. And so I think there are some positives out of here. I can't take away the negatives of, you know, the dangerous action he did. Uh, but uh, hopefully, you know, sitting this Friday night uh, gives him a bit of a lesson and uh, we, we see him we see him come back out both on and off the football field, a better man after this week off. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that too, Ryan. I mean, it's one thing to get a, get a hold of a situation before it becomes uh, an issue, not to say that this isn't an issue because it is. It's a very important issue, especially... Uh, when it comes to, you know, being a role model for younger fans. Um, and, and it's never a good situation for anybody. And I'm just glad that they got a hold of it and that, you know, they seem to have been well on their way to a resolution before it was made public, which is, you know, another dread thing, but it was kept in-house, I think, uh, until... You know, I guess it came out late last night and, you know, as somebody that is in PR, you never want, uh, you never want a story to get out ahead of whatever you're putting out. Uh, it's always good to get ahead of the story in my experience. Uh, seems like the Bombers were well down that road already, um, really being proactive. And, you know, I, I think, you know, when you, I think when you humble yourself, as it appears that Kenny Lawler has done, I, I think your teammates are more likely to to accept your apology than, you know, to not say anything at all. So, you know, it's a terrible situation for everybody involved, as you've already said. And, you know, I just hope this is a learning experience for everybody and, you know, sitting Lawler out of game is probably the best case scenario. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's going to be much more than beyond this one game. Um, although you never know what that... But it, it's good for the Bombers and it's good for everybody to get ahead of this story despite, you know, not being... Um, despite not being... Not being... Not it having a good light on anybody. The one exciting thing that I think is going to come out of this is uh, barring, you know, unforeseen circumstances, it sounds like 
And I would expect we will see uh, Naaman Roosevelt in blue and gold for the first time this week. Uh, he seems like the most likely candidate to slot in in Lawler's spot. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he can do. I was hyped up when the Bombers added him. Uh, and now probably, what, a month ago, right before the Labor Day game. Uh, but he has been just participating in practice and hasn't gotten on the active roster yet. So we'll see how Roosevelt does this Friday night against the Elks. You know, the Bombers' run of uh, health so far has been quite remarkable. Um, to go a month now without having to make the lineup change because if injury really speaks to especially in a COVID season where, you know, everybody's coming off of the last season and getting back healthy, but nobody's really missed extended period of time. Uh, I think it's a testament to the players. It's a testament to how they uh, were able to wrap themselves up for the season. It's a testament of what they do between games. It's, an, it's a testament to, to the honesty uh, that's required. Um, or, you know, if, if something's bothering you to, to get ahead of that injury. And, you know, if you look at the Bombers' overall health situation, it's a lot better than I think we'd be the envy of the CFL in a lot of cases when it comes to, to injuries and those kinds of things. So let's just hope that this is a one-week situation and it's a chance. I mean, I think... Anytime you can have name and Roosevelt as your option, first option in the event of an injury or in this situation, uh, you're definitely doing something right. Yeah, talking about the injury side of things, uh, one team that's suffering some unfortunate injuries is the BC Lions, who did lose this game 30 to 9. Probably biggest story, I think, to come out of this one is the injury to Lucky Whitehead. Uh, he has one carry for one yard early in the game and goes down and looks like he, uh, I believe it was his wrist or his hand he, that he broke uh, on that play. Uh, Whitehead having a fantastic season, I believe was the leading receiver or at least one of the top three to five in the CFL coming into this week. Uh, definitely the star and the biggest storyline for the Lions this year was Whitehead's performance coming in. Uh, tough to see, uh, especially given, you know, his fa- he had his family coming to this game. And I believe I, I heard this was the, the first time they had come to see him play in person, only to have him go down early in the game. Now, interestingly enough, Whitehead comes back in the second half. Uh, which if you were somebody like me and had him in your fantasy lineup this week, you had hope that maybe the disaster of a 0.1 point week from your $9,000 lucky whitehead uh, might be salvaged, but he came back into the game, but was he really there in the game? He was basically just a decoy uh, supposed to be, you know, be a speed option to maybe throw a couple bombers, defensive backs off balance. And uh, well, it didn't really work out too well. Uh, he had one target go his way that he uh, he tried to haul in one hand, and he was basically playing the rest of the game on one hand. Uh, sucks to see Lucky Whitehead go down. He's now going to be going for surgery on the hand and will be out, uh, they say, two to four weeks, which I feel like is a pretty quick recovery time. But well, it'll remain to be seen exactly how long. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the Whitehead injury? 
Well, I, I think that that's the byproduct of, of this football game injury aside. I mean, you look at it, I I believe, and unless people want to have an argument, but I don't think there is an argument to be had, but Lucky Whitehead is the undisputed number one receiver that the BC Lions have, at least if you look at their statistical categories, no disrespect to, to Brian Burnham, but I think... What happened was they, when they lost Lucky Whitehead, some of their game plan basically went down the drain because you plan around your best players. Uh, you try to work out that, uh, you know, you try to work the game plan around your better players and, you know, not having your number one receiver is a big hit to the game plan. Uh, and then there was a... You know, there's a little bit of a shot period, and then you you try to get back in the game. And when you're playing, uh, and when you play him uh, as much as you do in your game plan, it's it's very hard to get your your feet underneath you. Uh, as far as the injury to Lucky Whitehead, I mean, it's it's a blow. Um, he for sure is one of my favorite receivers to watch. It's it's unfortunate that um, he never got it as bit of an opportunity as you know he got here in Winnipeg but I think when you look at the situation what wound up happening was there was no place for him it was that plain and simple and the Bombers used an opportunity uh, to put him on special teams to exploit his speed and his skill and all, all those types of uh, all those types of things and you know, BC had a need for a receiver. I, I'm not sure that they had planned to bring him in as a number one receiver, but, you know, he certainly played like a number one receiver. And, you know what? It, it's one of those things where, yes, it sucks that he's doing things for another team, but I'm just happy he got an opportunity because I don't think he would have gotten that opportunity here in Winnipeg, and I don't think he would have gotten that opportunity this year um, either. And I think he did himself well by going to another team and working out an opportunity. So it's just very, I'm very happy for Lucky. Um, you know, it's hard to be angry, it's hard to be disappointed. Uh, it's just one guy getting an opportunity somewhere else and taking full advantage. and. You know, you, you can't dispute that. The thing that I, I pinpoint, and it, it was a couple of places, you know, defense struggled in this game. You give up over 400 passing yards. You give up almost 100 rushing yards on the day. The defense uh, struggled for BC, certainly in this one. Um, but one of the things you have to pinpoint on is just the way they run this offense is puzzling to me because – you we talked rushing stats last week for BC in their in their previous game. Again this week, the two the two running backs on the depth chart, James Butler and Shaq Cooper, they combined four carries for two yards in a 60-minute football game. Like and you had, you know, Riley had a nine-yard carry, Whitehead had his one-yard carry, Rourke had a four-yard carry. That's all for rushing in this game. And if you want to point to, you know, BC's got the talent there. They seem to be a good team at times. How often are they putting themselves in second and long? Because 
they're throwing on first down and that goes for an incompletion. You know, Riley only completed 63% of his passes in this game. Uh, that, that was the thing that stood out to me here for BC is you have talented running backs on the roster. Uh, I know you have such talent at wide receiver, but you got to start running the ball a little bit more. Uh, I'm actually getting, you know, it, it has me kind of concerned seeing this trend going down the stretch. Once we get into the cold, uh, I know BC's home games, you know, they have the indoor stadium there, but for the road games and getting into potential playoff games, you know, when it's cold out there and it's typically run the ball territory, is this team mm-hmm. going to be able to make the adjustments you need? Yeah. And, and especially if the standings are the way they are, um, is BC going to want to come, you know, to the prairies and potentially play two, two, uh, sorry, two playoff games on the road, uh, one of which would be the last week of November, the second one will be the first week of December. And I don't know about you, but it gets pretty cold here around that time of year, uh, nice. for sure. And you need some kind of a running game. And I think this is where BC might have to start kind of catering their game plan a little bit more towards what they would need in the playoffs because to me, I, I don't know if that was a situation of the game got away from them, so they had to abandon the running game. But I think Michael Riley just throws the ball an awful lot, and that's the way that offense is kind of set up. You know, whether you uh, whether you want to do that or not, but it's it's very interesting how. You know, BC all of a sudden has a little bit of a lack of a running game. Uh, I know they've had some issues with with health at that position uh, this year, but you know that that would be something that would need a little bit more work. I think is uh, some balance on the offense, and then we'll see where we'll see what happens. Let's move on to the second game to talk about here, the Montreal Alouettes and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, I'm sad I was a, I was away on the weekend, so I missed watching this game live. I followed the stat line, and I just watched the highlights earlier today. And I, I may have missed the, uh, the best ending to a football game we've seen yet this year. My goodness, what a finish between these two teams. Uh, it seemed like as the game was going along, that this was going going into the fourth quarter, that this was going to be Hamilton running away with the victory here. Uh, 17 to three going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Montreal then gets back on the board. Uh, you know, early in the fourth, they get a touchdown from Jake Weineke, who somehow keeps putting up touchdowns every single week. Uh, fast forward nine minutes left, they get a field goal on the board. It's 17 13 Hamilton. And then uh, Montreal with a big final drive here. Uh, it would starts off just a minute 25 left. They drive down the field. They complete on third and four. A, a beautiful catch by Eugene Lewis for 25 yards. Uh, they get closer to the end zone. And then again, third and 20 with 49 seconds left in the game. You're down 17 to 13. Uh, Vernon Adams hits Eugene Lewis for a beautiful 28-yard touchdown. The Alouettes go ahead in this one on the uh, by three points with the convert with under 30 seconds to go. Hamilton takes the ball. They go downfield, couple plays, and uh, Taylor Bertolet, 55-yard field goal that 
This is the closest I've seen a field goal to not making it distance wise ever. It literally dropped right over the edge of the bar on the final play of the fourth quarter to tie the game up, send it to overtime. We get our first overtime game of the year. Uh, the tie cats run three plays. Sean Thomas Erlington fumbles the ball. Montreal takes over with a couple running plays and uh, kicks the game-winning field goal. 23-20, Montreal with the comeback win here over the Ticats. Uh, your thoughts on this one, Mike? Well, I'll tell you something. Uh, I was at a hockey game, and I did phone updates, right? And I did 17-3. I went, oh, game over, right? It's like, okay, yeah, they don't have much. And all of a sudden, I... I looked back and I realized it's overtime. I'm like, what the heck happened? Um, anyway, no, it's, it's all uh, the never say die attitude that is suddenly employed by certain football teams when they're batted against the wall. It seems to be uh, better pressure and better results for sure. Um, but anyway, so it's it's just. The, the never say die attitude, uh, Hamilton to me just, I, I can't figure them out. I mean, one week they look like they're about to go on a roll, another they just step back. And, you know, I expected this to be a battle for first place going back, I guess, when the season started, did this game. But, you know, five. Two teams near 500 records battling for, you know, to stay out of the basement of the East, given what Ottawa did earlier in the week. It suddenly puts the East into a little bit more of a blender, which is going to be interesting to see here down the stretch. The big storyline, I think, besides the dramatic ending in this game, was uh, the injury to Vernon Adams Jr. early in this game. Uh, he goes down with an injury. Matt Schiltz comes in uh, for a couple drives. You know, he went four of seven, 108 yards. He had a big pass to Quan Bray for 68 yards. I thought, oh, maybe Matt Schiltz could uh, have himself a good day here with a rare opportunity to get some playing time. But uh, kudos to Vernon Adams. You know, a lot has been made this year of his uh, inefficiency in the passing game and uh, the disconnect between him and his receivers at time. This was a gutsy game from him. I mean, it was a gutsy game from the entire team to come back after suffering that injury earlier in the game and to basically stare into the eyes of defeat on that final drive late in the fourth quarter, convert on two separate third down conversions to keep the game alive and then to go on and win this in overtime. I mean, these are the types of wins we, we need to see from Montreal. You know, this is a team that we talk about every week has the talent available to them, uh, but can't put it together. Obviously, we would love to see them be able to dominate a game more uh, clearly, but certainly this has to be a nice momentum boost for the Alouettes to uh, have, pull this one out with the late win. Yeah, you talked about that check victories versus that punch losses, depending on you know, which side of this you stand, and this basically bats up everything I've been trying to say for about Montreal. See, I believe one of those third-down conversions you were referencing earlier was the third and 20. Yeah, the one uh, on the touchdown. Uh, yeah, 
just absolutely remarkable. And, you know, I think that should be a learning lesson for for Vernon Adams, too, right? Is not to take everything. And I, I say this week after week, and it seems to be, you know, from from my handbook of repetitions on this on this podcast. But I think Vernon Adams finally proved to himself that hey, if you let uh, if you let your skilled receivers go to work and go to death footballs, how good things can happen to you. And I think finally we finally saw Vernon Adams when it mattered most execute a play for himself, but also go to trust his receivers to go make a play. And I think the exuberant celebration we saw on the part of Vernon Adams when that touchdown was caught is the is the telltale sign of excitement versus relief. And I'm wondering how this is going to catapult Montreal going forward. Now, the Ticat side of things, you, you kind of touched on it with, uh, you know, trying to figure out who the heck Hamilton is and where they're at. I mean, coming into this one, they had, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, two straight wins with David Watford at quarterback over Calgary and over Ottawa. Uh, they get Jeremiah Mazzoli back this week. Sean Thomas Erlington seemingly more healthy as he was listed as the starter. Braylon Addison back from uh, missing all season due to injury so far. Brandon Banks back due to injury. How is it that this team takes a step back once all of these, you know, of arguably their best players are back in the lineup? It just seemed like. Uh, you know, they played a decent game all the way through, but what it slipped there in the fourth quarter, and, and this is one that definitely has to hurt the momentum, any momentum the Ticats had, because, you know, we recorded our podcast on Thursday last week, so it was, it was only four or five days ago at this point, and we were talking about, at that point, you know, Hamilton going on uh, the run we expected them to, to go on earlier in the season and start to gel and start to rack up the wins here. Uh, now, after you see the result in this one, do you still feel the same? Yeah, and again, I think let's not overreact to one game. I mean, it was a, a miracle field goal that it's to overtime. Uh, an unfortunate uh, turnover for an otherwise reliable running back. Uh, it's just interesting that you know, we think we have a handle on things, and then we don't, and we're constantly learning in this evolving East Division race. No, the Ticats, I, I have the same bone to pick that I did with BC. A little bit less, but this is a team that just really does not commit to running the ball, and I think it hurts them at times. I mean, Sean Thomas Erlington led the way seven carries for just 26 yards, uh, especially when you have Mazzoli. I went... I wouldn't say Mazzoli at quarterback has had a, a good game to the level of play where, where we know we can see from Mazzoli yet this year. This is three starts for him. Uh, Fantasy-wise, I think he's been averaging around 10 fantasy points a game in those three games only. Uh, it really hasn't been the Jeremiah Mazzoli we're used to. So why not lean on the running game a little bit more? You have a couple talented backs there, Thomas Erlington, 
uh, Malik Irons, Jackson Bennett, not to mention, you know, they they ha- ran a couple plays with Braylon Addison and you have Tim White and guys like that. Like, why not just start going a more run-heavy offense in Hamilton? That's what I would like to see from them going forward and see how that impacts things. Yeah, you know what, that made sense. Um, you know, I, I don't want to, again, I'm not in the boat of wanting to overreact with this Hamilton loss. I mean, probably if if uh, they don't fumble the football, they probably score points, and it's game on in the overtime, and it's a learning experience for Sean Thomas Arlington as well, but you know, you have to protect the ball at all times and overtime included and I'm just more of the I'm just more of the mindset that Montreal deserved to win, but it's not all doom and gloom if you're Hamilton. Uh, I mean you got Banks back, you got Braywin Addison back, you got Mazzoli back. You know, just get in the playoffs and then anything can happen. And if you're Montreal this this is the win that you needed for reasons that we've already discussed. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I don't think it's quite doom and gloom for the Ticats. Definitely a shell-shocking victory, and we'll see how they bounce back from that uh, as they face the Argos later in the next week. Uh, Good to see Braylon Addison back in the lineup, one of the most exciting players in the CFL. A decent day for him, seven catches on nine targets, 73 yards through the air. Uh, We'll see it. We'll see what he can put up in his second game next week, and we'll see if Brandon Banks can get back on track uh, only 15 yards on four catches for him in this one. So Brandon Banks back in the lineup, but still MIA in a large way on the stat sheet this season. Interesting uh, lineup note from the Ticats this week, uh, releasing wide receiver Devere Posey before he ever played a game with the team. Uh, they brought him in in the offseason. He was injured for the first, you know, he was on six game injured list to start the year. And, uh, you hate to see a guy lose his uh, starting slot, presumably due to injury, but uh, I think this is just a testament to the depth the Ticats had that you have guys like Stephen Dunbar Jr. and Tim White that we weren't talking about at all coming into this season, uh, beating out a guy that we uh, we are used to seeing as a mainstay in an offense. Yeah, I think a lot of this also has to do with the salary cap, right? If you're opposed, I'm assuming is responsible for a hefty ticket as far as the the salary cap goes, and then Dunbar is probably on a rookie deal. Then you weigh then you weigh the prospects of you know as I like Dunbar, even White to an extent. You know it's 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 very interesting, and I think that, that there's a strategic play behind this uh, to maybe go out and get somebody else at, an, at another position while saving money at the receiver corps and probably probably getting the same quality results. Um, I, I I don't know how much of a drop-off there's going to be between, you know, DeVere Posey and uh, Stephen uh, Dunbar Jr., just as an example, other than perhaps the, the monetary cap restraints. Let's move on to our final game of the week. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Calgary Stampeders. First of three meetings in October between these two teams. And uh, and a bit of a surprise here. Calgary takes this one 23-17. 
Uh, big win for the Stampeders, a team that's kind of been reeling uh, so far this season and in, you know, uncharted territories for a Calgary team. Uh, they pick up the much-needed win here to uh, improve to 3-5 and five on the season. The Riders drop to 5-3. and three. Uh, What are your thoughts on what transpired in this one? Well, if you listen to the Ryder post-game show, it sounds like the sky is falling. Um, but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, no, I believe that this is uh, this is a learning lesson for the Riders who may have taken Calgary a little bit lately. And, you know, full credit to Calgary. It's three matchups in a row with a buy-in between, I think, for the Riders. And so it's a very opportunistic, terrible time to have a game like this if you're the Riders. Uh, despite recovering the onside kits and both of them, uh, one of them was, I think, the holding call, uh, called back, and then they attempted it again, and Lotta recovers his own kit while basically putting his body on the line to do so. Um, again, it's Calgary finding a way with Guys, we aren't all that familiar with, and you know, riding a little bit of defense to a to a victory, and this all of a sudden opens up more questions about the riders, right? I mean, did they take Calgary lightly, or is Calgary starting to kind of turn a corner? And the one thing I didn't like was Cody Fajardo throwing his receivers under the bus, at least that's how I caught it. Uh, you know, going up and trying to make the play at 50-50, and I understand the frustration, but I think the last thing you want to do is is alienate your receivers, and it's interesting that Duke Williams is now part of that mix, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but I'm wondering if the quarterback's comments had something to do with that. Uh, as well, and where that leaves shot Evans and all those types of players, uh, it's just it's just very interesting how. And the favorite people need to remember is the Riders receiving corps are very young. When you take you know shot Evans out of the lineup, you got a you know a Mitchell Pitt in a Shaper uh, Baker. Uh, uh, yeah, so a uh, Schaefer Bater, then you got Pitton, then you got Lewis. Uh, so it's they're just very, you know, it's not necessarily a, a receiving core that has a lot of, you know, household names. They have a lot of young guys that are trying to become household names. And I think the writers just need to tread carefully, and the quarterback throwing. You know, the receivers under the bus, at least publicly, at least from... That's the way I see it. I'd be curious how how Ryder fans view that. But, you know, throwing your receivers under the bus is not necessarily the right thing to do either. So, keep things in perspective, Saskatchewan. You're still 5-3. and three. Uh, I've been finished with Africa very terribly for you to not make the playoffs. Um especially with the hurt that BC seems to be in, uh, particularly at wide receiver. So the sky's not falling, contrary to what some in Ryderville like to refer to it as. 
Yeah, he touched on the receivers there quite a bit. I totally agree with you that the uh, it is such a young group there. I mean, take out Kyron Moore, who really, you know, he's played a couple seasons there in Saskatchewan. Uh, the rest of the group is pretty much rookies, maybe a year under their belt, but by and large, very little CFL experience. You don't have Jordan Williams Lambert, who would be considered a veteran in that lineup. He's on the sixth game injured with. Shaq Evans is still out. Uh, so the Riders, like you mentioned, they bring in Duke Williams, a huge free agent addition for them. Uh, Williams, former member of Edmonton's football team, uh, and lit up the CFL in that regard. Then he went to the NFL. I believe spent some time with the Buffalo Bills. So he spent some time in the NFL, uh, and then now, now he comes back to the CFL, and the Riders pick him up, and that is a great addition there. I mean, and you want to talk about top receiving corps in the league. Uh, once everyone gets healthy, you know, it's Shaq Evans, Duke Williams, Kyron Moore, uh, Keon Schaefer Baker, uh, Jordan Williams Lambert, Braden Lenius, like like that is a cream of the crop when it comes to receivers in the CFL. Uh, I know Williams won't be ready to go this week due to quarantine, but I'm really excited to see what he can do in that Saskatchewan lineup because you want a receiver, uh, and if that's what Fajardo means, if you want a receiver that's going to be able to go up and get you that jump ball. Uh, I don't think from what we saw, you know, in previous seasons, I don't know if there's anybody better at the receiver position in the CFL than Duke Williams to be able to do that. So huge addition for the riders uh, that will hopefully get them some more consistency at the receiver position, but they fall in this game, 23 to 17 uh, Calgary jumps out to the 14, nothing lead. Uh, I don't think we saw this coming from Calgary at all. I mean, we coming into this game, we're thinking, uh, you know, Bowie by Mitchell is off a shaky game or two since he came back from injury. Uh, doesn't seem to have, you know, momentum under him. Then he's missing his two best receivers in Kamar Jordan and Josh Huff yet to boot. And you start thinking, oh, this is going to be a rough game for the Stampeders. But he, as Mike mentioned, you find guys that the and Calgary seems to do this year in and year out that step up and make the plays. And, you know, last time around, it was a couple couple backups that got in there. And this time it was too. Sean Bain uh, led the team in receiving yards at 56. He had a nice 32-yard catch and a touchdown. Uh, also got in in the return game a little bit. They had Malik Henry, who was on the six-game injured list, come back in uh, and handle return duties and, you know, get in on offense. He also picked up a touchdown. So, uh Big game here for the Calgary Stampeders, both on offense and on defense. I thought the defense did themselves, uh, had themselves a pretty good day as well. Uh, definitely a game they needed to start turning things around here. And, you know, these two teams play each other, as I mentioned, three times in October, and they play each other again this coming week. And if you take a quick look at the standings now, you know, we were doom and gloom on Calgary's situation and starting to write them off a little bit. Uh, they're one win right now back of BC for third place. And they're only two wins back of Saskatchewan. And uh, if they do win this next game, uh, it, that would put them one win back and guarantee them the season series with the Riders. So uh, could this be a turning point in the season for Calgary? It could be, but it also could be just the win. And then they've 
to me, it's all what they do this week and what they do the following week with, with uh, against Jasmine. Do I see the Riders dropping all three games? No. But I, I just want to see the follow-up. You know, we talked about it much like always we talked about Ottawa, right? It's You win one game, great, follow it up, right? And the one team that's probably not happy with this development is Edmonton, and that just makes them stub their toe on that Ottawa team even more so, uh, knowing that uh, their Alberta rivals won and... Now, I don't even think it's disputable who's in last place in the, in the West at this point, but it'll be a very inter- interesting week because uh, Edmonton comes here and then the Ryder the Stampede rematch is this week in Regina, so lots to still be decided. Yeah, and uh, this is going to be a crucial game, I think, for both of these teams. Uh, I, I expect this one to bounce back. I mean, get, we'll get into our pick them shortly, but yeah, you have to think that the riders are going to come back better in the second game, uh, especially with them being at home. You know, I think Calgary got a bit of a boost at home here. I know they're, I know they're, they didn't do so hot at home in the first couple games of the year, but certainly seemed to boost them. But, uh, what do you make of the play of Bowie by Mitchell? Because that's the focus in Calgary right now. Uh, it wasn't a spectacular game from him. It seemed like it started strong, but uh, 16 of 25, 64 percent, 184 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, what What do you make of how Bo played in this game? It's it's certainly under what Bowie usually does, but it's. Certainly didn't cost them a game, and a little bit curious because it seems like Bo has re-aggravated that shoulder injury slightly uh, on one of the hits there. He was kind of wincing and kind of test out his shoulder on the sideline. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen, but uh, it's certainly progress. Good Howdy. And let's see them follow it up. Yeah, you mentioned uh, his his shoulder injury there. He actually came out in the final couple minutes of the game and Mayer went in to replace him. And it sounded like from post-game comments that uh, Bowie by Mitchell pulled himself from the game because his shoulder wasn't quite feeling right. And really, that's encouraging to see a guy not, first of all, not feeling the need to put his body through extra pain or potential you know, risk further injury to himself to try to pull out the win in here. But maybe just in the trust he has in his uh, his fellow quarterback, Jake Mayer, and the, the team has the trust in him. You know, this only ended up being a six-point game in the end of things. Saskatchewan got, a, I think, a late touchdown to, to make it closer there. But to have Bo, uh, you know, go and say, yeah, I'll step out of the lineup here because I don't want to aggravate this. Mayer, you've got this. Go store up this game. That was a positive sign to see from Calgary. And, uh, you know, I have to draw the parallels to what we saw from BC in their blowout of Ottawa a couple weeks ago, where it was a 30-point game and uh, Riley was still in there until a minute and a half left. Uh, I like seeing the fact that Bo stood out of the way and let Mayer get the reps in here because he knew they would that would give them the better chance to close out this game. Mike, any final thoughts on the games from week number nine before we move on to CFL Fantasy and CFL Pickup? Uh, yeah, you know what? Week nine was very interesting, and now 
I think we're going to start to see teams round into playoff form. We're going to find out if the teams that are inside the playoff line can improve their position or if somebody that's currently on the outside looking in is going to make a change and make a charge. I think we're going to look at that crossover again. You know, I'm still back and forth as to whether there's going to be a crossover. Uh, my gut says no. I say that every week, but then we did a week like this, and I'm re-examining everything, so it's kind of going to be interesting to see how Winnipeg handles the remainder of the last couple games. Because uh, number one, they're getting close to a playoff spot. Uh, number two, they're getting closer to clinching that number one seed in the West. Well, everybody else tends to sort out the chaos around them. Uh, it's going to be very interesting in the next few weeks. Getting into our uh, CFL Fantasy and CFL Pick'em in the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League. I unfortunately suffered a uh, about a seven-point loss this week to uh, Mike from the Podski Wee Wee podcast over in Hamilton. Uh, well, he's from Edmonton, I believe, but uh, they cover the tie caps. Um, a 74.1-point a week for myself. Uh, it was the defenses that made a difference. I took Edmonton's defense, like many people did. And uh, they put up zero points and uh, he took the, uh, he took the uh, red blacks defense in this one. So kudos on the pick there. Uh, they put up 10 points. That was the difference maker in uh, an unfortunate week with the lucky whitehead injury. Uh, but I believe we both had him. So I can't blame my loss on that. Unfortunately, I just got outplayed. Uh, fall to six and three on the season dropped to second place in the standings behind Andrew from the turf district. Uh, we're tied for first. He has seven more total points on the year. So second place, though, for me, still going strong on the year and looking to pick up another win against Travis Curra of the Two and Out CFL podcast this week. Uh, make sure you check out the Podski Wee Wee podcast, the uh, Two and Out CFL podcast, and all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Uh, getting into our little fantasy league for week number nine. Uh, once again, much like the week before, I got blown out of the water. It wasn't even close. Uh, my lineup for the week, I ended up going with Michael Riley, Andrew Harris, William Powell, Kadeem Carey, Kyron Moore, Jake Wieneke, Brandon Banks, Darrell Walker, uh, the Bombers defense, and Sean White for 116.8 points. Mike had Cody Fajardo, James Wilder Jr., Sean Thomas Erlington, William Stanback, Lucky Whitehead for the unfortunate 0.1. I can only imagine how much you'd beat me by if he played the whole game. Uh, and then at receiver, just uh, absolutely uh, demolishing me. Uh, Kenny Lawler with 38.5 points. Eugene Lewis had over 20. Greg Ellingson, 25.6. Ticats defense with nine. And Rene Paradis with 14. 156.3 points uh, in 40-point week. Uh, a 40-point win for you this week, Mike, and you are now ahead by about 55 in the overall standings. Your thoughts on Week 9 of CFL Fantasy? As I would say to my team, a great start, great performance. Let's keep moving.
I got to get back on track. It's two weeks in a row, you know, go back to, uh, let's see, after week seven, I was ahead by 50 points in the standings and now I'm behind by over 50. So uh, it's crazy how much it can change in two weeks. Kudos to you on another big win. And uh, we'll see if I can uh, take some of those points back in crazy week number 10, where uh, you have two teams playing two games and both games count towards the fantasy totals. Should be an interesting week of CFL fantasy and the CFL in general. Let's get into our pick em for week number 10. Uh, I think we said off the top of the show, I went 0-4 last week. I think you may have gone the same or close to that. Uh, coming into week number 10, five games to talk about here, and it starts on Wednesday night between the Toronto Argonauts and the Ottawa Red Blacks. Toronto is at home in this one. Both teams will play a second game on Thanksgiving Monday. Uh, Toronto and Ottawa, Toronto at home, Mike, uh, first of all, what do you think the pick trend is and, uh, who are you taking? 60, 40, Toronto. 90 to 10 Argos. Oh boy. Talking about getting no respect after last week's win. Probably a lot of people wouldn't show me mode. And you know what? I'm going to go there too. I, I just didn't believe it would be that disparity, but. Hey, Ottawa, I'm starting to like your performance, but show me you can follow it up. I'm going Toronto by three. I'm going the Argos direction as well here. It's hard because uh, something's got to give here with Toronto. You know, they've been perfect at home this season. Uh, I believe a perfect 3-0 at home, 1-3 and on the road, uh, and they are at home again, but... They're also up and down and up and down. And the last game they played, they won. So that makes me think they're going to lose. But then they're at home, which makes me think they're going to win. So I really don't know which one to pick here. Uh, so I'm going to take the Argos at home. I think they get a nice boost from the, the fans that show up to BMO Field. Uh, they're always loud, and the Argos love playing in front of them. Uh, I'm expecting a fun game, a close game, and a much improved Red Blacks team coming off last week. But I got to go Toronto for this one. Uh, getting into the second game, the Friday night game, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers hosting the Edmonton Elks. Uh, pick trend, what do you think? 85-15 Winnipeg. Close, but uh, even more widespread than the last one. 95-5 to Winnipeg. Uh, I'm going to have to go by weekly against Winnipeg for the sake of not really any reason at all, but it seems to be working. Probably to pick the elk to beat the Bombers at home. I'm going with Winnipeg. I uh, I, I think that, I mean, the, the play of these two teams throughout the year uh, speaks for itself. Uh, the Elks do get Trevor Harris back this week, which I think could make things interesting. I'm excited to see what the team looks like now that he is back after missing the past two games. But uh, I think this one will be closer. I'm not as far leaning towards this being a blowout as many people think it's going to be. Uh, I don't want to pick Winnipeg to win by a field goal because a game coming down to just a field goal with the current Bombers kicking situation gives me nightmares. Uh, so I'll say the Bombers win by a touchdown. Probably what it's going to be, but you never know. Getting into the set, the one game we have on Saturday this week, the rematch between Saskatchewan and Calgary. Uh, what do you think the pick trend is? Uh, Saskatchewan at home in this one. 70-30 Saskatchewan. 
86-14 riders. Yeah, okay, Ryder fan, stop stealing the vote. That is just <laughs> ridiculous, man. That is absolutely ridiculous. And as I recall, I believe I picked Calgary on this show last week. If memory serves correct, I do not believe I picked the Riders to win. But anyway, just for drama's sake, I'm going to say Calgary makes it two in a row, regardless who starts at quarterback. And this is going to be a close one. And I'm going to say Renee Paradis gets the field goal as time expires. I'm going to agree with the trend on this one. I'm taking the Riders at home. I, uh, it's a home-and-home home split. Uh, those those series often split between the two sides. So uh, I expect them to be much better at home than they were last week and get things back on track a little bit here. So I will take Saskatchewan at home in this one. Uh, and then we get into the Monday games, the Thanksgiving Day games. And uh, we have Ottawa and Toronto both on the road for their second game in uh, four or five days. Uh, the Alouettes hosting the Red Blacks kicks things off. Uh, where do you think people are going on this one? I would say the fifth round favorite Montreal because of the short week for the Argo. Uh, the Red Blacks. Or, yeah, yeah, sorry, the Red Blacks. The uh, percentages, what are you thinking? 70-30? 89-11 Montreal. My goodness. Nobody's given Ottawa any credit here after their one win. Maybe because they've only won games against Ottawa, uh, Edmonton this year. Well, it's interesting, and I believe you were guesting on a podcast last week, or last night, sorry, and the discussion came up. When was the last time uh, the worst team in the CFL swapped somebody? And I'd be very curious to know that answer, too. But here's my thing. I think Ottawa wins one of these games this week. I'm just not sure which one it is. And, you know, this is a game to me where you want any chance of making the playoffs, you got to win for Ottawa. So, yeah, I'm siding with the home side on this one. Uh, I, I believe that uh, they are the more talented team. Uh, but there is pressure on the home side to get this done. Uh, pressure is a privilege. Take that from a baseball team. But I like if it didn't make the playoffs uh, this year. Pressure is a privilege. Embrace the pressure. And you did a pull out a win at home. It will be close, but not uh, close. Doesn't necessarily, isn't necessarily a bad thing these days. So you're taking Montreal to win this one at home, correct? Correct, yep. I am going to go with Ottawa on this one. I agree with you. I think the Red Blacks win one of these two games. Uh, you know, some people saying, well, they're on the road here and uh, coming off their second game in five days, but they also did just beat Edmonton in their second game in like five days uh, the week before. So, uh Look, my, my pick'em record is garbage. And the CFL is unpredictable, and it doesn't make sense that Ottawa should win this game. So I'm picking Ottawa to win this game and seeing if that works out well for me. Uh, I think the team is better with uh, Caleb Evans under center, and I'm really excited to see him play these two games this week and see what that brings for this team. 
I'm not 100% sold on Montreal still. You know, they they needed that big fourth quarter comeback uh, to just narrowly pull out that overtime win. So I will take the Red Blacks uh, to beat Montreal in this one. Uh, Montreal also struggling at home. They have lost both games at home this year. So I'm going to go, going to go with Ottawa on this game. And then we get into the final game of the week. Uh, Hamilton hosting Toronto, Toronto's second game of the week. Uh, what do you think the pick trend is and where are you going? I'm going to put the cats. I just believe that they're going to rebound after a loss, but probably doesn't happen if it's not for a few instances of, uh-oh, here we go again. I would imagine Hamilton's favorite in that game in the pick trend. Not sure what the percentage would be. Take a guess. It's the 40. 77-23 Hamilton. Wow. None of these pit trends are actually close. No, they're all very much leaning. That is, that, in fact, the closest one on the week. Uh, the 77-23 to 23 is the closest trend on the week. I think a lot of people expecting uh, things to lean uh, a certain way. Uh, and there's definitely some favorites in each of these games. And I'm, I'm agreeing with you and I'm agreeing with the trend. I'm going Hamilton uh, in this one. Uh, you know, Toronto's good at home. They're not good on the road. Uh, when's the last time they've won a game in Hamilton? Uh, you know, the, the donut box, as they call it, is a hard place for anybody to play. In fact, I think this, this past game against Montreal may have been uh, one of the uh, – the Ticats' uh, first home losses in a while. Um, I, I'm going with the Ticats to bounce back at home in this one. I think they will be much, much better, and uh, we'll see how Toronto performs coming off uh, their second game in five days. That does it for week number nine recap and our look ahead to week number 10. Uh, before I wrap up the show here, Mike, uh, what do you want to plug, and uh, where can people find everything you got going on these days? Uh, people can find it at gametimetv.ca, mightyfm1fa.com, and on my Twitter at mightyfm1fa.com. Sounds good. Uh, for me, you can find my stuff. Uh, you can find uh, me on Twitter at coopertrooper42. Uh, if you're interested in CFL fantasy content, you can check out the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix fantasy. on YouTube. Uh, I put out, uh, you know, five, six uh, videos every single week going through every position uh, of CFL fantasy and uh, the depth chart updates and everything to help you get set for setting your lineups for each and every week. You can check that out uh, and uh, follow me on Twitter as well to get the depth chart updates through there. Also uh, for our podcast, uh, whatever podcast platform you're listening on, uh, if you, if you want to, you know, give us a like, give us a, uh, subscription a review a rating we love those share the show with your friends that would be appreciated as well uh we always appreciate it and uh you can follow us on twitter at cfc on mike fm you can uh, also find us on facebook assuming it stays existing for uh, and doesn't die like it did uh, earlier this week uh you can find us on there uh, facebook.com slash cfc on mike fm as well i believe uh, check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network. 
Uh, as Mike kind of mentioned before, I had the uh, the privilege of being a guest on the Turf District podcast uh, yesterday. I uh, had a great time. I uh, really appreciate uh, Andrew, Mike, and Kayla uh, having me on to uh, talk some uh, Elks and some Bombers and a little bit of CFL fantasy as well. So check that out on all your podcast, uh, favorite podcast platforms uh, this week once it drops as well. Uh, great time chatting and laughing with them. You can find all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network at CF Pod Network on Twitter. And you can find that one specifically at, uh, I believe it's the Turf District uh, pod. And, and it looks like it uh, at the Turf District. And I uh, just checked Twitter and it looks like it just dropped right now. So once you're done listening to this, make sure you go check that one out too. And uh, as always, uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoy the podcast uh, week in and week out. Uh, for Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Koopsay. Thanks for listening. Take care. Have a good one. Enjoy week number 10. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.